Welcome everybody to the Gameology Podcast. This episode is all about difficulty. My name is Matt. I'm here with Attila. Hello there. Now we're talking about difficulty in games. And my first thoughts on difficulty is that games, for the most part, have gotten easier. They've gotten so easy over time that a game like Dark Souls comes out or difficult roguelikes and people, it becomes a a phenomenon and people are talking about it and all of a sudden it becomes a little bit of a trend. You hear people complaining about certain games that say, oh, the save system's broken and this. And it's like, no, it's just asking you to move along to the next point. So on this episode, we're going to be talking about the pros and the cons of difficulty and how we've seen it evolve. Now, Attila, how have you seen difficulty evolve over your time as a gamer? Well, I've definitely seen like, um, you know, sort of an increasing trend towards making games more accessible to larger markets. You know, that's just the sort of inevitable um, march as games become larger and larger projects. They just naturally have to appeal to more and more broad audiences to, you know, remain solvent. So I think that there's definitely an increase in making games easier for the sake of that, keeping that broad appeal alive. Yeah, because difficulty can be a a lockout. I mean, if I give you a book in Latin and you don't understand Latin, you're not going to be able to get very far. So if I give you a game that you can't progress past the first, second, third level, there's no way to automatically get through that. There are difficulty settings, but it comes to a point where the difficulty can stop people from experiencing it. Yeah, and I think like when a game like Dark Souls hits the market and it's like, oh my gosh, this game is so much fun and it's hard. And then that's just all everyone hears. And then it's like, oh, got to make hard games. Hard games are great. And it's like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Because there is like hard games done well. And then there is hard games that are just frustrating. And you walk a, a, a reasonably fine line in creating an experience that is either like frustrating. And a lot of it just has to do with. Um, the way information is presented to the player. Um, in my sort of day job, summer job kind of uh, thing, I work with a lot of kids and teaching them how to make um, Lego robots, animations, and video games. And when they get through their game projects, they inevitably start making their own levels, and a lot of them will start creating like invisible blocks or just like, here's a piece of grass, and if you touch it, it kills you. And that is exactly the sort of wrong kind of difficulty. You never want inconsistency, right? If a block is there, you need to inform the player that it's there somehow. If a block is going to kill you, you need to inform the player of that somehow. It's that sort of arbitrary like, oh, you just fell through this platform because there was nothing there, or you touched this and it died. And like, here's another really irksome thing, inconsistent results. Like when you perform a certain action, and you give the exact same input, and then a different outcome will occur. I know in a lot of like physics-based games that can happen because the the physics engine just so has so many randomized variables in it that even if you are making identical inputs, the way that the physics system shakes out just results in a different outcome. And it's that kind of unpredictability that can make a game really frustrating and not just difficult. Yeah, I think players are always willing to enter into a game much like you do into a movie and you go, all right, tell me the rules of this universe. And then it's okay if if in a movie or a game people can fly, but if then they can't fly at a certain moment, then it doesn't make any sense. I have an example. My girlfriend watched Return of the Jedi for the first time and when Darth Vader threw the Emperor down into the shaft, she said, if he's magical, why can't he just fly? And she might have been a little confused, but like that example of it is if I've seen that he can fly, I want to see that all the time and now that has to be a consistent rule. And when it comes to being difficult 
it's like a parent or a teacher. If they're difficult and stern but fair, mm-hmm. that's a great thing. If they're a deranged lunatic abuser, mm-hmm. well, that's not a great thing. No. And the thing with Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Bloodborne, they are difficult. And anyone that wants to put out an article will be like, they're actually not that hard. That's an interesting opinion, and you sure you can talk about it. But of course they are difficult. But they're very fair. And many times when you die in a Souls or a Born game, you see that animation wind up just like Punch-Out. It's basically Punch-Out in 3D where you, you're you like, okay, I was just a little too slow. And it's about learning that element. And another thing they do to make it add a little more challenge is that there is the, the currency that you drop on a death. Mm-hmm. Because... When we had arcade games, it was all about making the game hard because they wanted your money. They wanted you to put another quarter. When you had early NES games, there were lives to simulate the amount of quarters, and the games weren't that big. So you could could get, if you're amazing at Contra, you can get through it in like an hour, an hour or two. But if you are terrible at it, you're going to have years of retrying that game. Now, they've gotten rid of lives and continues as we've gone along for the most part. So they've had to find a way to make that more interesting. In Bastion, a game I'm playing right now, you have a certain amount of attempts um, responding back with the, the progress that you've made. If you run out of those attempts, you have to restart that level. So you've lost some progress, but you don't have to go all the way back to the beginning. And that is, I think, a good change. I think that uh, in the case of, like, what, what you just brought up there in terms of, like, what, what, how do you handle a player's loss condition? And it's a very interesting question where, like, how... The, the the reason that you should be sending a player back is so that they can get another shot at it. And the only time that you want to like outright kill a player and make them repeat a level is if starting from the beginning of that level will somehow give them some benefit or some alternate way of tackling that challenge. Because if you just keep dying on the same jump over and over again, it doesn't make sense to make you restart the whole level because it's just one jump. It's one hard jump and there's nothing... Um, external that you can bring to the jump. Now, if there's an item at the beginning of the level that you really should have picked up that would help you on that jump, then it does make sense to send players back that far because it's like, hey, you need this. And that's the way that developers should be thinking about death and retry states or loss conditions in their games is how can you use it as not just a means of like punishing the player. No, you need to think of it as a way of like, how can we use this as a way to help players get through our game? Yeah, and you look at games that do that really well in terms of uh, retrying. Limbo is a game that is a puzzle game where you're constantly throwing your character into death. But one, what they do that makes it so interesting is that the respawn rate is right before that last failure, and it's instantaneous. Now, one of the worst things about when Bloodborne first came out was long load times. So you mm-hmm. would die like you're supposed to do in those games as you as you figure it out. But it would take so long, it can change how you play because you're playing a little more cautiously. Now, in Limbo, you don't play cautious. You just run, and you jump at something, and you die, and you die 25 times and until you wrap your brain around this puzzle. Now, I was thinking, when you design games, do you design them with the player failing in mind? You have to consider how or when the player might have difficulty with a particular part of your experience. And you have to build in um, ways of allowing the player to sort of modify their own experience and there are a couple different ways to do that, actually. I, I sort of categorize them as um, difficulty multipliers, um, difficulty modes, and the use of items. So shall we dive into the first one of those? Let's do it. Okay. So when we're talking about multipliers, this is a simple like math equation that you perform on if on normal, normal difficulty you take X damage, on easy difficulty you take 
x divided by 2 damage. And on hard difficulty, you take x times 2 damage. So that's why it's a multiplier, because it's literally like, depending on what difficulty level you are playing on, it is applying a multiplication or a division operation on some stat in the game. And that just, you know, inflates or deflates the difficulty as necessary. If you're having trouble on a boss because you're taking too much damage, you swap your difficulty multiplier down to easy, and now you take half as much damage, and it's easier as a result. Now, the, the interesting thing about that is you're not changing the fundamentals of the game. The game play is still played exactly the same way, but there are some games that when you multiply the difficulty in a way, it can completely change the experience from a walk in the park to genuine interest. And games don't always need to be uh, frustrating and tense to be enjoyable. And sometimes you are going to want different experiences, sometimes in the same game. Uh, Deus Ex uh, Human Revolution, one of my favorite games for the PS3 generation, uh, the boss fights were so unbalanced that uh, and were so um, different from the stealth mechanics that they were encouraging players to choose if, if they'd so desired that you were all of a sudden confronted with this guy the way Machine Gun was in the option. I put almost every boss fight on easy. Mm. And... The, the, the main issue that you can actually encounter with um, using a multiplier in a game is that it presents a certain level of inconsistency. Like, let's say I play through an entire game on um, easy difficulty, and I have a, a reasonably good time of it, uh, and then after I beat it on easy, I unlock normal. And I go back into that game, and there's an enemy that I killed in, like, three shots. And I put three bullets into him, like, okay, I'm going to start turning away to face the... Wait, he's not dead. And it, it leaves you with that sort of, like, you, you learn things incorrectly about the game. And that's, I see that as a, a bit of a, a problem. Um, that's why I find that there's a better way of tackling a, um, the way that difficulty is modified in a game. And that's in difficulty modes. And this is at the very beginning of the game. You choose, like, easy, normal, hard, then, rather than spawning... Um, an enemy that takes x plus two or x minus two number of hits the game will spawn two enemies on a harder difficulty so that way i know okay each of these guys still dies in three hits but there's more of them so now i need to make sure i take down this guy and then i take down this guy and because there are more enemies that naturally makes the game more difficult without just performing some sort of invisible um you know mathematical equation that the player doesn't really have an intuitive sense for. And that can make it exponentially more difficult. You look at a game, a lot of people complain about Dark Souls 2 because it, they felt like the game just threw a lot of enemies at you, and especially in boss battles where the entire point of the game is to dodge and then attack when you have the chance. But when you throw another enemy in there, that is not based on a pattern because mm -hmm. you have two, maybe two programmable patterns that are always going to be the same, but if they're coming at you out of sync, yeah. you now have an unpredictable pattern that at times could be impossible to dodge. And I think that that's where a lot of people found like, well, this is just unfair because there's no way for me to learn this. And there are times when if you cannot avoid taking damage at all, and there and it wasn't just a, a failure of your own skill. Mm -hmm. I think that becomes a failure of the game design. It is entirely. Um, I, I definitely find that uh, you know if you ever put the player into a circumstance where it is not a matter of their skill in the game, um, unless they have made choices that wound them up in that circumstance. Sure. You know, like that. That's about the only time where you can say like, okay, yeah, this is my fault. I went into this un this encounter unprepared. I went to this zone too early in the game. I don't have the equipment necessary to deal with this, whatever, that kind of thing. Um, but as long as there was a choice to begin with, that you could stem back. Yeah, exactly. 
and it, it's it's easy to create experiences that are too hard. Um, on Zarnok Fortress, when I created these difficulty modes, um, when you're playing on different difficulties, I will remove hazards from the game. Like if you're playing on easy, I take certain laser turrets out, or I have certain laser turrets fire less often, so that you can still have the sense of predictability of, okay, if I get hit with that laser bolt, it's going to do one damage, but it doesn't shoot as often as it does on harder difficulties, so you can still kind of compute that. Although it does sort of start to fall down the multiplier issue of, mm -hmm. well, I was predicting that this is going to fire once every second. Now it's firing once every second and a half, and that throws off my timing for something else. Yeah, that just changed that a little bit. Um, there's, you know, I was thinking about Bioshock, and they, the way they dealt with uh, failure was that you came back with all of your health in uh, the nearest Vita chamber. But the problem was that the enemies all had the same damage. So if you're coming up against a big daddy, the one of the fearsome enemies in the game, and you died, he still stayed at, say, 75% health. Mm -hmm. And then you just ended up throwing yourself at him over and over and over again, like Suicide Bomber. Um, and then at that point, it just becomes kind of like, well, now it's just a matter of time. There's zero skill. I could I could come out there and yeah, do one damage. Yeah, and, and that can really take a lot of the fun out of it. However, I do see the point in that Bioshock is it's a shame that it had to be a first person shooter because it had a hell of a story and it really didn't need to be a first person shooter but it worked out that way at least maybe the third and second games could have changed from that so I can see that I would it would be a shame for some people to miss out on the story and the big twist and everything that happens in that game um because they just couldn't get past a certain big daddy yeah and that's the that's the reason that you want to give players these options to modify the difficulty in the games that you never know when somebody might just run up against a wall. Something that is particularly challenging for that person. Um, just something about the way they learned or didn't learn a mechanic. Um, it might not, um, you know, it, it might be something that they should have learned, but for whatever reason, they're stuck. And you want to give them some alternate means of progressing. Um, the one of the, I wanted to sort of touch back on one of the difficulties of having di um, difficulty modes in a game. Um, is that, as I mentioned, I remove certain hazards from the game. So you can't just hit pause and swap the difficulty out because then, oh, suddenly it spawns a hazard at your feet or something. Or if you're on a higher difficulty where there's a number of enemies that have spawned in and then you switch down to a lower difficulty, which enemies do I despawn to compensate for the difference in difficulty? Right. So typically when you have that kind of difficulty mode in a game, it means you can't just hit start, switch the difficulty. It means you have to, at the very least... Um, go back to like the main menu of the game and then change it. Or in the case of Zarnok Fortress, I have the difficulty um, locked from the start of the experience. And that's because Zarnok Fortress is no more than an hour and a half experience, or roughly two hours. It, it depends because it's an open world game. The, the amount of time it takes you to get through it um, can vary uh, from play session to play session. So that's why I didn't figure it would be too much of an issue to have your difficulty locked in for a particular play session. Um, whereas with things like multipliers, you can always pop open your menu and just say i want my shots to do twice as much damage and i want enemy shots to do half as much damage to me like it's, it's a very easy and immediate way of being able to say like this part of this firefight is too hard for me um let's switch this down to easy and then i'll switch it back up to normal right afterwards i think uh because there are so the variables are the people playing the game and when you have millions of people playing a game at different skill levels some people are good at different uh, different games um it can be, I, th I think it's, it's a necessity. You need to have these, uh, at least if you don't have an easy, medium, hard setting, 
to get around that. If you had a way of, like Bioshock, I mean, I just criticized it for the Vita Chamber, but at least if somebody has a problem with that enemy and they just can't defeat it on their own, it's this sort of foolproof way to get through. And it can be a bit of a letdown, but also getting stuck at something for a day or two, not many people have the patience for that. Well, some people do, some people really like it. If you look at the old um, point-and-click adventure games, a lot of them were such trial and error. They were just these slug fests mm -hmm. of let's just try everything and throw it at it. And But every once in a while you have those, uh, the nickel drop hits you, you go back to it and you and it feels great. I, even with Final Fantasy thirteen, not a great game, but I love the battle system in it. And there were some bosses that were so difficult, I had to give it a break. And it really felt like I was playing an older game where I'm like, oh my God, I need to actually like step away from this this isn't like an older rpg where i can just go level up a bit mm -hmm. more there were actual almost puzzle elements in the combat where you find out the strategy however that can be a bit limiting because it felt like at least to me there were a lot of battles in final fantasy 13 where there was only one way to get through it mm. and i think it is infinitely more rewarding if you can allow the player a couple different ways to be able to defeat a situation and get through it whereas um if, if it's one puzzle, yeah, that works. But if it's all the time, especially for battle, I don't want this to seem too much like one solution. Yeah, I mean, in uh, in Zarnok Fortress, I would always try to offer the player alternate paths for, like, if this, like, way of traversing the level is too difficult, there's another slower way, which is also a possibility. Um, and really, it sort of uh, brings us to the, the, the final way of modifying a game's difficulty is through the use of items. Um, and it, it also sort of includes going to like this battle is too hard let me go level up and come back that idea of just sort of like level grinding to just physically make your character's avatar stronger to sort of brute force your way through a particular problem but um consider like a level of mario where like oh my gosh this stuff this level this jump is so really is uh, really hard to make but if i had the um wing uh the feather cape then i could just fly over this really easily so that ability to like go to another level get an item that you need, come back to the level, and then use it where necessary, um, that can allow players to sort of pick and choose their difficulty without going into a menu and swapping it down to easy, which a lot of people don't want to do. A lot of people see that as humiliating. It's like, ah, I can't beat this game on normal. I guess I'm a pansy because I'm switching it down to you know, an easier difficulty. Um, but it's like, oh, I was... You know, I had the intuition to like go to this other level, and I went on a quest to get this item that I needed to like bring it here and use it at this time. And it doesn't feel like as it doesn't feel like a defeat. It feels like you're being resourceful. Um, in the Mega Man games, you have like your emergency energy tanks, where like you've taken a bunch of damage, you hit pause, and you know between one frame and the next in the game, you're back up to full health. Um, heck, even uh, the like the rush powers that you would get in certain games, you would Mega Man would call his like trusty cane and robot uh, dog, and it would afford you with like a platform that you can jump onto that'll lift you up a bit, or a platform that'll carry you into the distance. And these are just like, you know, adding a platform to a platform game that gives you an in between spot from one jump to another makes that um, part makes that challenge easier. And it's just a, it's a, it's an interesting approach to allowing the player to call in and use essentially an item or ability uh, to make specific parts of the game easier. But they do put an energy system on it, so you can't just use it indefinitely. Yeah, actually, speaking about Mega Man's powers, you they they give you the option so that if you're to to fight any of the 
to any of the levels at once mm-hmm. and any of the bosses at once. And in a game that is so demanding as, as Mega Man, it's a fantastic idea because if you're throwing yourself against a boss and you just can't defeat it, you can pop on over, you can take a break, you can play someone else. And, and then every other boss that you beat after that, you get one more power so it can make that previous one you were struggling with, it can make it a lot easier. It can be the difference. I mean, there's lots of people that have come up with guides and say, this is the ideal path you mm-hmm. want to take. Make sure you beat this boss before you beat the other one. But it does make it does give you a lot of creative freedom because you could use any one of those other boss powers and see how that works against that, that certain boss. And it, and it just, the freedom of it, the, the problem solving and letting you feel like you had a lot more to do with making this easier. It's not just that Mega Man is getting... He's not necessarily just doing more damage. It's it's the way he's attacking and yeah. the way that he's your, moving. Your, your attack pattern, your item, your whatever, the nature of the weapon that you're using is more effective against certain enemies than other kinds. Um, and in some of the Mega Man games, they take that to a ridiculous extreme where I think you could get like um, one particular item that just completely neuters a given boss in some of the later games. Like it just, it, it completely and utterly destroys them. Um, and... One of the main problems with having a, um, a a choice in like in Mega Man or like in uh, Link Between Worlds when you get to the Dark World is like suddenly every every one of those stages has to essentially be the same level of difficulty. Like when you first get into Mega Man, you can choose any single one of those robot masters to tackle, and that means that you never have the sense of like starting the game on a relatively uh, slow, like gently sloping difficulty curve, and then like building it up over time. Um, you just each one of those stages is it should be roughly the same difficulty as every other stage, because otherwise it's not really a choice. You you know even if you give players the ability to go all to all those different stages, if some of those stages are much more difficult than others, first time players at least will be like essentially forced to go for the easiest stage first and it just becomes a part of uh like trial and error to find out which of these stages is the easiest so they should all be the same difficulty but because they are and because you're getting a special item in every single one of those um for every one of those robot masters that you defeat or even worse in the case of a link between worlds when you're in the dark world for the first time the difficulty spikes like i've known people who just quit the game at that stage because it's like Everything kills me in two hits. I can't get anywhere. And, you know, maybe they need to go back to the light world and grind for some more heart containers, but it doesn't, it it feels like such a ridiculous jump in difficulty. And then you can get items in the dark world that are like, make your sword deal twice as much damage. Um, Get and get a piece of armor that means that you take half as much damage and all these things that just like deflate the difficulty as it goes on. And your difficulty curve is backwards so it like slowly ramps up spikes and then goes down as the game goes on and that just seems like i i i'm astonished like i like what you know that a game you know a lot of people love that game and there are so many things to love about it but when i played it through the first time i kept track of like what items you get from which dungeon and i gave that to my girlfriend as a list for like here play through the game go to this dungeon first because it gives you an item that you need to get this other thing and so on. And I think that she had a much better experience of the game because it was a sort of like curated take on like, "Mm, you could go here, but trust me, you're going to have more fun if you go here first. Yeah. It's when you're, when you're allowing the player to have more, simply have more health. If, if the enemies are going up at the same time, then that makes sense. But 
why give them more health if the enemy's doing more damage? Why not just have neither of those things increase? And why not make the attack patterns of the enemies more difficult to dodge? Because then you're testing, do you want to test the player's skill? Or do you want to test the amount of grinding the player can put in? Those can be very different games. And you look at like a, a traditional turn-based RPG, a lot of times the wall is not your skill. Mm-hmm. Skill does come into effect um, planning the right strategy uh, and the best turn-based uh, attacking games, turn-based combat games, have that in mind as well, but we all know it comes down to the big grind near the end. Now, having... Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting in that. So if they're... <laughs> you're just allowing for more mistakes if you give more health. Yeah. And that's that's a reward, but like you say, it just makes it easier. Yeah, and you know, this is the reason that when I created Robo's World of Zarnok Fortress... I had, uh, where you know, it is a game that I said, it's open world. You can choose which zone of the fortress you want to tackle first. And every time you sabotage a zone, it disables a certain class of hazard throughout the game. So again, open world. Uh, every time you do something, it makes the rest of the game easier. How do I compensate for that? With Zarnok AI, um, where every single enemy, as you were sort of describing, they get more intelligent over time. Their AI level starts out as zero, um, when you begin the game, you go through the whole like incursion ship, um, which is the tutorial area in the game. And then when the player gets to the fortress, I reset it back to zero again. And that means that you have a sort of um, enemies at their easiest, environment at its hardest. And then as you go through and you sabotage all those different environments, you disable certain hazards, but the enemies get so intelligent that they are just like wrecking you at every turn. And that sort of compensates and makes the difficulty curve go in the right direction and the there are another number of other like risk reward mechanics that um sort of give the player benefit to not necessarily sabotaging his own right away and really even the final um part of the game um you bet you practically need to sabotage every zone at once to tackle it before you you even have a chance um but if the player is at any point having too much difficulty dealing with the enemies in the game, I have another mechanic uh, called the digital environment, which serves as a fast travel system around the fortress, but it also, like, while you are moving through the digital environment, you have the opportunity to play, like, a little Pac-Man minigame where you eat up the bits of data that represent the enemy's AI and make them, you know, bring them back down to zero and make them easier to fight. So your sort of ideal path through the fortress is sabotage one place, hop into the digital environment, reduce their AI. Sabotage another zone, hop back into the digital environment, you know, reduce their AI, and so on until you get to the final part of the game, and then you stand the sort of best chance of tackling the fortress core and defeating them once and for all. Yeah, and when when you're into the digital environment, you have... It's it's one one hit kill? Yes, yes. So you have, so you have this increased risk... But you got a lot more of a reward because your uh, your avatar in the actual physical world you can travel a great distance, and that's that's really what it needs to be. You need to have that risk reward. It needs to be tough but fair. You need to tell people like, well, you can roll the dice on it. You're going to have more reward, but it's your fault if you uh, if you pick up the dice. You know, um, one game I really tried to get into last year. Everybody was talking about it. Batman: Arkham Knight. Mm-hmm. I grabbed the game was beautiful. I really enjoyed how Batman soared around the city. I didn't really like the car. Um, but then I got into the combat, and while the combat looks great, and it's animated, it's it's done in a way that is animated really nicely. And if you've never played it before, it's basically you know, you spam an attack button, 
quite a bit. And then it's all timing based counters. Yeah, like rhythm, rhythm based. Yeah, rhythm, yeah. Right? Very rhythm based. So so you're you're attacking, 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 you're waiting for a a timing uh, indicator to come up and then you have to hit that within a certain amount of time, a very small amount of time, and then Batman will continue on and it looks it looks cool. It looks like a choreographed fight scene in um, in a film. But the problem I had with it was that uh, there wasn't a punishment for not hitting the. Uh, I could be wrong. I might be thinking about Mad Max. But in in any case, if you ever have it in a system where you don't need to look at the screen, and it was either in Batman or Mad Max, where I could hit both buttons, I was hitting attack, mm. attack, and and uh, and the counter, and I didn't even look, and it was fine, and you just got through it. And it's the second that happens. It's like, okay, I figured it out and I feel smart for figuring it out, but that killed the entire game for mm-hmm. me. I thought, I, I'm done with this. And then it became too much of like bringing a car around, but that really has nothing to do with uh, difficulty. Yeah, I mean, you know, so many, like difficulty is what is going to like make or break a given player's experience in a game. And when you have like a more linear experience, it's relatively easier to craft that, that um, the difficulty curve because you, you don't just want like a straight up curve. You don't want a, a like linear line all throughout your experience. You want something that's very gentle at the beginning, as I mentioned earlier, and then you want it to sort of bring it to a local maximum where it's like a boss encounter or something, and that presents a particular level of challenge, and the player is given some reward, and you let them feel powerful powerful for a little bit, because that just feels good to like have some enemies that you can kind of coast through for just a little while, and then it starts to pick up again, because you, you let the player feel powerful. You let them sort of fulfill that fantasy, that... that um, desire to like have strength and then you sort of reel things back in and say like okay let's ramp the challenge back up again you end up with this kind of like oscillating curve that's like slowly ramping upwards and then you hit sort of like the end of your experience where you can start to like bring that curve in um make it much steeper uh as things go on in the game but never hitting that wall right or at least giving players tools or like um items they can redeem to like get around that wall um, just because you, you never want to present a challenge that's just insurmountable or that the player sees as insurmountable in the game. You want players to finish your games. You, you want them to have a fulfilling experience. And um, yeah, it's the, the, with every single game, you need to really um, look at how your difficulty curve maps across your game's sort of key beats and story experiences, and you'll ultimately end up with a much more satisfying experience for the player, something that is... Uh, not too difficult, not too easy, but just right. Well, I hope this podcast episode wasn't too difficult to get through, but was slightly challenging enough to keep you interested. You can find this video version of the show on the 90s Kid YouTube channel. You can search for it on iTunes, the audio version. It's called Gameology or your podcatching software. You can find me on Twitter at GameThinkTalk. And if you got some time and you want to leave a review or rating for us on iTunes, it really helps us out. And Taylor, where can they find you? You can follow me on Twitter at BluishGreenPro or check out my website at BluishGreenProductions.com where you can find all the games that I've made as well as my extended thoughts on every single episode that we discuss. Bye for now. Bye.